this is Contra Radio from Contra.Scot. Welcome one and all to the Sunday Sermon with me, Contra Editor David Jameson. This week we're talking Elon Musk's new Twitter and the revelations of recent weeks, during which he has cracked open the safe of Twitter's secrets and distributed them selectively to friendly journalists. Not in an act, as his supporters claim, of a real commitment to free speech. He obviously isn't offering us our own gander of Twitter's internal workings. He'd be a strange sort of business owner if he ever produced a public audit of that kind. But that's not to say that what we have found out about how Twitter works isn't important, or at least an interesting study into the nature of speech under modern capitalism. The two headline stories are that Twitter systematically suppressed information about Joe Biden's son that might embarrass him in the lead-up to the last US presidential election, and also that Twitter has been systematically suppressing the accounts, particularly of figures on the American political right, and who knows who else, and who knows to what extent. I suspect that we are just seeing the tip of the iceberg with all this stuff, None of my criticisms of Musk and how he's done all this should be taken in the spirit of many left-wing criticisms of Musk, which I have to say strike me as bizarrely obsessive. And a strange turnaround from a few years ago when Musk was some kind of liberal hero who could do no wrong, perhaps because he offered a vision of social change through technology, eliding political conflicts and confrontations a recipe so beloved by parts of the intelligentsia. Today he seems to be bogeyman number one, for reasons I don't entirely understand, but I think mostly to do with the fact that he keeps banging on about free speech, and that's often a trigger for people on the left. I'd say that's quite a dangerous and foolish development. Mere mentions of the idea of free expression shouldn't really get your hackles up if you're on the left. After all, it is a right that socialists have demanded and advanced through the decades, uh, and we wouldn't have won any of the advances that we cherish. Votes for women, the right to trade union organisation, basic legal protections from things like torture, without it. And today, as Musk's revelations make clear, our right to speech is still heavily policed, to the benefit of people like Joe Biden. Another thing they make clear is the class nature of the culture war, This is a historical analogy I've resisted using over the years because in many ways it doesn't fit. Historical analogies generally fall down on any kind of close inspection. But I am increasingly reminded during today's culture wars of perhaps history's most famous culture war, the French Dreyfus affair in the early part of the 20th century. Don't get me wrong, there were serious things at stake in the Dreyfus affair. It drew national and international attention to the rise of French anti-Semitism, a credo that would result in disastrous consequences decades later when the French ruling class opened the door to Hitler and tens of thousands of French Jews were trafficked to their death in Eastern Europe. 
Quite apart from anything else, the Dreyfus affair also had at stake the life of an innocent man, persecuted at least in part for his race, but also because he fit a, a broad profile of who French conservatives saw as the enemy. Alfred Dreyfus was an Alsatian Jew living in metropolitan France. He was the son of an industrialist and a graduate of the new military academy system, the Polytechnique. He had broad, secular, liberal values and was prepared to speak up for them at a time when France's officer class was in a state of near civil war over the future direction of the French state. Jean Jarret, the great French socialist leader, was wrong to dismiss the controversy that opened up around Dreyfus when he was falsely accused of feeding state secrets to the enemy as a mere civil war within the bourgeoisie. Wrong because, as I've already said, there were deep political consequences to the affair, to the divisions that it traced out in French society. But he wasn't wrong in that basic analysis. The Dreyfus affair was a struggle in the French upper middle classes over the meaning of the state, over the official ideology of French society, over the type of France that was needed both to be a successful competitor to growing rivals like Germany, and the type of France that could suppress its own growing internal class conflicts. On the right, the anti-Dreyfusards were overwhelmingly Catholic, determined that France should remain a Catholic power with its divergent class elements, working class bourgeoisie and capitalists, town and country all wedded together under the authority of the church hierarchy. The Dreyfusards, on the other hand, were overwhelmingly secularist liberals who wanted a more rationalised system, a modern France capable of facing up to the challenges of the 20th century with more state-regulated systems, even if that meant sweeping away some of France's old institutions. Characteristically, the Dreyfus affair took the form of a struggle over the institutional life of France, the Catholic Church against the Masonic Lodge, the Polytechnique against Saint-Cyr, the Conservative Military Academy, the anti-Dreyfusard press against the Dreyfusard press, a struggle which saw France's newspaper industry explode. Some of the anti-Dreyfus newspapers, like La Croix, had many millions of regular readers, and the years-long conflict over the guilt or innocence of an obscure military officer became a way that millions of French people were educated about and entered into political life in France. Why draw such a distant analogy to the current struggle over Twitter? Because I think our current culture war shares this one characteristic feature. Fundamentally, it's a struggle over the institutional life of society. That's why, and you may have noticed, the weapon of choice in current public debates is the sacking. From third sector organisations to universities to political parties to media outlets, people divided over questions such as racism or gender identity or feminism or Brexit or whatever, like to try and sack each other. Mixed into the ideological debates at the time of the Dreyfus affair was a simple material reality. The state's reproduction of its own institutional structure simply wasn't providing enough jobs for the boys. Dreyfus's accusers were also his competitors. The scribes who lambasted him were frustrated intellectuals who struggled for work in the existing press and in the academy. In our own times, the middle classes are under enormous pressure. Many are floating downwards back into the working class proper. There are simply not enough graduate jobs for the number of graduates. And the opportunities that 
British capitalism once held out for sections of the middle class for self-promotion and advancement are dissipating. You only need to look at the mess of the housing market to see this. The strikes rippling through what were traditionally professional vocations. Entire middle class industries are in a state of collapse. Just look at the newspaper business or our crisis-addled university sector. In circumstances like this, is it really very surprising that academics are hounding professors? That journalists who now earn roughly what street sweepers do are insisting that the legacy generation of newspaper columnists are raving reactionaries who really need to be retired and, oh, as it happens, maybe the papers could use a fresh perspective and that just so happens to be mine. No wonder Elon Musk, who paid way over the odds for Twitter, has become such a magnet for this desperate frenzy. One of the traditional roles of the middle classes is they get to decide official morality. And one of the places that goes on today is certainly Twitter. It's easy to be dismissive and say that the social media site is an irrelevance because only a small section of the population use it. But it's who uses it that makes it important to the reproduction of official ideology. Media workers, academics, politicians and artists are wildly disproportionately represented on the platform. And the debates they have there, the factions they form around the issues of the day, filter down and out into the wider society. It's simply Musk's great crime to stomp his way noisily into the salon and declare that no, voting for Joe Biden does not necessarily make you one of the good guys. Egomaniac and ignoramus though he may be, he's holding up a mirror to a wing of the culture war familiar only with admiring its own reflection and not used to the ugly carbuncles. I agree with a series of articles we're bringing out on Conta by James Foley that suggest that the current form of the culture war is in decline. But my strong suspicion is that for as long as inflation, the distortions of the housing market and the dull compulsion of proletarianisation continue, we'll be hearing many more demands for sackings and no platforming and so forth under the guise of who knows what new cause. Want more like this? Subscribe to Contra Radio on our SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Sign up to our regular newsletter at contour.substack.com and find great articles and more at contour.scot. We really rely on listeners like you to help us grow. In return, you get access to exclusive content and events by joining our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash contourscot. 